and when it's solid, it's recording. We're good. Before we go into the sermon, if you have your Bibles, can you turn to Jeremiah chapter 29? This is not, well, it has to do with the sermon, but it wasn't part of my original, my original sermon or my notes. But I believe that the scripture is needed to be read this moment. Jeremiah chapter 29. I love this book uh, of Jeremiah. He's a, a prophet. Uh, many of you may know. Um, if you don't know, he is also by many theologians named to be the weeping prophet. Uh, he had good reason to, re- to weep, if you will. Uh, he wasn't like a prophet that many of us may, may know. The, the name it, claim it, blab it, grab it. You are blessed. You've got a hundred thousand dollar job coming your way. We love to hear those types of, of words or, 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 or prophecies, if you will. And there's a time and a place for those as well. But there are also prophecies that come that, that the God would of, of heaven would want to come and speak to us a word that if we don't align to it, calamity could come our way. And these were the words that God gave Jeremiah. God gave Jeremiah words that were words of warning, exhortation, but warning to nations. And it was up to the people. It was up to the king to adhere to the word from this man. But, but this man was speaking on behalf of God. How many of you know that God's choice vehicle to speak to his people are his people? He chooses so often to use you and I to be his voice. And this is what we find in the life of Jeremiah. And Jeremiah, in this portion of scripture, he's been exiled. He's been exiled to a land that we're about to read that he does not know. And what I've heard of the story of your founders is this was a land that they really, they really didn't know. They knew God was calling them here. But they knew that if God called them, that he would bring understanding and, and resource to continue and complete the work that he's called, not just Pastor Ben and Rebecca, but those that he's added since that time. And so if we begin on verse 1 of Jeremiah chapter 29, we see these words. These are the words of the letter that Jeremiah the prophet sent from Jerusalem to the surviving elders of the exiles and to the priests, the prophets, and all the people whom Nebuchadnezzar had taken in exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. This was after King uh, Jeconiah and the queen mother, the eunuchs, the officials of Judah and Jerusalem, the craftsmen and the metal workers had departed from Jerusalem. The letter was sent by the hand of Elasa, the son of Shapan and uh, Gemara, the son of Haikik, uh, you, you can see that there, and Zedekiah, king of Judah, sent to Babylon to Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon. And this letter said, beginning in verse 4, Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, to all the exiles whom I have sent into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Listen here, verse 5. Build houses, live in them, plant gardens, and eat of their produce. Take wives and have sons and daughters. Take wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage that they may bear sons and daughters. Multiply there and do not decrease. But Seek, verse 7, if you have a highlighter, if you would highlight this passage of scripture. Verse 7, Jeremiah 29. But seek 
The, if you see it, what does your Bible say there? Seek the what? I'm sorry? The good. Another translation might read welfare. Seek the good. Seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you to exile and pray to the Lord on its behalf for in its welfare, listen to this, you will find your welfare. For thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, do not let your prophets and your diviners who are among you deceive you and do not listen to the dreams that they dream, for it is a lie that they are prophesying to you in my name. Then one of the most popular passages of scripture, you go down two verses, Jeremiah 29, 11, for I, the Lord, have a plan and a purpose for your life, and that plan and purpose is for good to prosper you and to give you a hope, an end with an expected hope. See, we find the Lord giving a word to those that have been exiled to a land that was not theirs. Now, some of you may be saying, what are you trying to say? We're exiled, this is Babylon. What? No, 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 no. I'm not trying to say that. What I'm trying to say is this, is that in cities, culture flows from. From cities, change happens. And as I've looked at the news and read the articles of the unrest that is so recent, and dare I say wounds still open from what's transpired in this city, your city, the Lord would say, send down roots. <laughs> Seek the welfare. Love your city. Don't listen to the, the naysayers. Don't, we hear it. Because we have to be wise to what's being said. But, but look to the Lord as I believe you've been doing. For in this, the perfect destiny of Baltimore will be fulfilled. And in it being fulfilled, the purposes for your life, so too will be enriched, enriched and also fulfilled. I believe that that was to be an encouragement as a preface to the sermon of Better Together. So, as many of you would be here and say, we are, we are seeking, we are praying. The Lord's encouragement to you would be this. Continue and don't grow weary in doing what is good. But look to Him, the source of our strength, the source of our hope, and he will continue to give you the wisdom, the strength, the fortitude, and endurance to do really what is hard, and that's to love. That's to love. You see, the cheap love that our culture gives is easy, because when times get rough, you can run. But the love of our Father, it's hard, because when times get rough, we stand. We stand. Can we pray? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this moment that we have together, Lord. All we have are moments, Lord God, in our life. And Father, it's my prayer, Lord God, for my own life. And I pray for those that are here that we would, Lord God, begin to invite you in more moments of, of our lives. Knowing that as we've given our hearts to you, our lives are no longer our own. But Lord, they're yours. 
And we give you permission this moment to do with it as you please. Lord, let only your word speak forth. Let understanding come by your Holy Spirit. Illuminate the gospel. Illuminate the scriptures. Let us see Jesus today. For if we see Jesus, we will never be the same. Father, we pray that for this city. If this city sees Jesus, it will never be the same. Father, our trust is not in our technique, is not in our leadership skills. Father, it is in you, Father God. And so today, Father, we ask you again, have your way among us. Amen and amen. Romans chapter 12, verse 4. Romans chapter 12, verse 4 reads, Just as our bodies have many parts, and each part has a special function, so it is with Christ's body. We are many parts of one body, and we all belong to each other. I guess you can see now where we've gotten the title from here in this key text. See, we all belong to each other. As I was writing this sermon and studying, I really began to recognize how counterculture the gospel has become. We have so many opportunities for relationships. Now, air quotes. Because the relationships that many have in my millennial generation are pseudo-relationships. They're I've got 500 friends on Facebook. I have a thousand Twitter followers. I, I, whatever it might be, but really we've gone wide with our relationships, but there's no depth to our relationships. And dare I say, though I see shifts taking place for the positive within the body of Christ, much of the body of Christ has followed suit. That we've chosen to go wide with our relationships. Versus the labor of love that it takes. Dare I say the pain that it takes to go deep with our relationships. And I truly believe with all my heart, the brief time that I've known your pastors and the passion of which I've seen from your worshipers is that it is the desire of this church not to go wide with the look of love, but to go deep with the reality of love. And this is the command, this is the mandate that God has given to us, his children, and to us, his church. Is to go deep, deep with this love. But the reality is that we can only go deep with this love for the, for, for, uh, the amount that we've allowed his love to go deep within us. See, the scripture is clear. We cannot invert the scriptures as we find it in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. And we're going to read Mark 12 in just a moment where we find the question asked, which is the greatest of the commandments. And I'm sure if you've been in church for any length of time, you're familiar with this passage. And if you haven't been in church and you don't know Jesus, well, then we're happy that you're here. Because I'm sure the goal of this church is simply that you know Jesus more when you leave than before you came in. And the question was asked to Jesus, which is the greatest of the commandments? And, and he said it so plainly and, and so simple. Well, it's to love God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. Another translation is strength. That tells me that it takes work to love. Why would he say strength? If love was simply a mental ascent, 
or an emotional feeling, he would not have added strength. Strength speaks of a physical toil at times that will take a toll on our body. Then he says the second, because he's a good preacher, the best. Every good preacher has not just one point, a minimum of two. This is where we learn from Jesus. And so, and so Jesus says the second is like the first to love your what? Neighbor. But you know what many have tr- done in society? We've tried to love our neighbor before we've loved God with all that we are. And that simple inversion ruins it. Because we're not loving with the strength nor the capacity of 2 Corinthians 13, where the true love is without want, where it's not defiled with perversion or lust, but it's for the good of the other. Even sometimes, dare we say it, at the expense of emotional distress, (laughs) of physical pain, and dare we even use the word anguish. The reality is you need me and I need you. God says community is not optional. It's not optional. You cannot fulfill God's purpose. We cannot fulfill his purposes for our life by ourselves. Colossians chapter 2, verses 6 and 7. Colossians 2, verses 6 and 7. Therefore, you received Christ Jesus, the Lord, so walk in him. I love this, verse 7. Rooted and built up. See, there's an order. Every word we believe has been divinely inspired. Theologians call it has been God breathed. And so the order in which these words are written matter. He says, which you've been rooted first. You see, I know not much about architecture. They didn't go to school, not that smart. I went to school, college, but not for architecture. Math isn't my strong suit and, and, and et cetera. But I, I have a, a good friend who's an architect. And, and, and one thing I do know, and I'm sure it's basic knowledge. You, you can't go high unless you go deep. So as high as the structure is, the deeper the foundation must be. Amen? That's the reality and that's the truth as it pertains to the love of God. We can't go wide, we can't go high if we first have not gone deep with our root system with God. Verse 7, Colossians 2. Rooted, then built up in Him and established in what? In faith, just as you were taught And also abounding in thanksgiving. The Christian life is referred to as a walk or a journey. Isn't that true? I've heard it said as well, uh, you know, it's not a sprint, it's a marathon. We can either go fast on our own or farther together. Some cliches, but truth to them. Genesis 2.18, a lot of scripture today. So if you've got notes and pen and paper, write them down. What My goal is every time I have the opportunity to share the word of God is to share the word of God. I know that might sound weird. 
I've been places where the word of God is not, is not shared. Genesis 2.18, then the Lord God said, it is not good that man should be alone. I will make him a helper for him. We are built, man and woman, in the likeness and in the image of God. And even in the heavens, before the universe and we were created, there was community in the heavens. God Father, God Son, and God Holy Spirit. This is the Godhead that we sang of in worship today. God Father, God Son, God Holy Spirit. We serve a triune God. There is community embedded in the very nature of the God that we serve. These are two, God, these are two anecdotes that God has, has, has given for us. He's given us our physical family. That's temporal. And he's also given to us our spiritual family, which will be eternal. And I don't know about you, but one thing I've found certainly in my own personal life and in now going on 15 years of ministry is that many times our spiritual family hangs closer and sometimes our natural family does. In our church, that's the story. We have those that are orphans. They have bounced to and fro in the foster care system. We have Members in our church, the majority of them, that have no biological family, or at least if they do, they don't know who they are. And they've walked through our doors broken. And they've found a home. And they've found a home. I believe that's what church is. It's a home. It's not a building. It's a home. And in a home and a family, you have trouble. Why? Because we care. We care. Now I want to make this clear that this of relationship has nothing to do with simply being married. I know many singles that are thriving and are fulfilled in Christ Jesus because they're in the habit of seeking out and participating in God-centered community. And I also know married couples who are the loneliest people on earth. This, which we speak of being better together, goes far beyond and transcends our earthly knowledge and the earthly institutions that have been established. Marriage is not an earth institution. It is a covenant established by God. But if it not looked as such, then it simply becomes a commitment between a man and a woman who are in great need of redemption from God. Now, when that institution is focused on God and he's at the center, there's great things that can transpire there that will bring good to the couple, that will bring uh, or joy to the couple, good to others. And ultimately, what we're here on earth for is to bring glory to God. I love that. Those three. I wish I could say I came up with that, 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 those three points of emphasis. But that, I believe, uh, 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 Pastor uh, Matt Chandler from the Village Church, I don't know if he coined it, but I know I heard him say it. 
And I, I just love that because everything in life falls into those categories. God wants to bring joy to you, right? It says in the scriptures that in our salvation that there's joy. And that the joy of the Lord is our... But if you talk to me, I'll be done in 30 minutes. If you don't, I'm going to stay here for an hour. No, I'm not. I can't be disobedient to your pastor. That would be sin. But the joy of the Lord is our strength. So God wants to bring joy to us. And guess what happens if we have the joy of the Lord? We can then be agents of good towards others. Have you ever had somebody that didn't have joy? Are they any, any, any type of agents of good? And you're like, but no, they're not. And you know what the sad thing is? I've been in one too many churches where the majority of people have the most sour face. And I would like to say that my church is devoid of those people, but they're not. But you know what we do? We don't run them out. We overwhelm them with love. When you see someone angry and they're always Debbie Downer, you overwhelm them with love. Not fake love that is there to annoy them, but genuine love. And if that happens to annoy them, well, so be it. You either will allow the, the love of God to melt the ice that is around your heart, or that same love will make it even the more arid. We choose to believe that as people walk through our doors, that that love will melt the ice that has been formed over most likely years of pain. See, I've learned something that when people come and they act in a way that we would say, how could they act that way? That shouldn't be the first question that comes in our mind. You know what the first question should be? What have they gone through? What trauma in their life? What pain in their life have they gone through that has caused this anger to arise within them? First Peter 4 9. First Peter 4 9. Above all, keep loving one another earnestly. Wow. Since love covers a multitude of sin. Sin. Show hospitality to one another without grumbling. See, I read this and I'm convicted because sometimes I know God is wanting me to bring someone in my home. And I'm like, ah. I got to cut the grass. We're going to have to clean the house on a day that we weren't planning to. We got four kids. It is a mess most of the time. And it is not because my wife is not at hard. No, it is just that they are tornadoes. Four in all parts of the house at any given time. And it's lived in and it's good. And it's those things that can sometimes life just causes us to Listen, we think that it's to bless them, but God is wanting always to reveal something of him to all of his children. All of his children. We are to open our homes to each other without complaining. Like your pastor has done to me. I've never been somewhere that the pastor has, he mailed me a key? And I think he told me like six times, enjoy my home, eat the food. Look in the fridge. Well, I was like, no, kids, we're not looking in the fridge. We're not. (laughs) But I mean, just the hospitality. You see, we cannot confuse hospitality with fellowship. You see, fellowship is what people do when they know each other. That's easy. Hospitality is a little bit more difficult. 
That's when we open doors to people who we're trying to get to know. And this is where it becomes uncomfortable. We are a city church as well, and some of the people that we invite to our homes, (laughs) I got to like shave off the address so they don't remember how to get back to my house. Can we be real? If you're one of those people here, we love you. (laughs) We love you. I didn't say they didn't go to my home. I said I had to take some precautions. Come on, we've been there. And everyone can raise their hand so no one feels awkward. (laughs) Yeah, but you know what? I'm not saying we don't have a lack of common sense. God has given us that as well. But one thing I am certain, sometimes what we consider common sense is fear. Even blatant disobedience to what we know God is telling us to do. You see, we're to live lives as missionaries. Baltimore is your mission field. I have the privilege soon to be going uh, to the Middle East and to China. Um, and uh, we'll be going again in, to Jamaica. And my little girl who's six was on the mission field with me last year. And, and it's amazing to go on the mission field. But I tell you one thing, and this is where God has been convicting me more, is that my mission field is everywhere that I am. Everywhere that I am. And I'm challenged daily to have eyes wide open, not just for that week that I'm overseas, because I'm now uh, 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 in this place where I have to be on guard and aware of what's going on. And and I'm especially prayed up for that mission field. But shouldn't it be that I'm prayed up every morning that I awake and I set my foot on the ground and go into the real world? Because what I know of the scripture is that I may not be here the next day. But I must repent before you is that many a day I have taken for granted the day that God has given me. And I wake up and I go about my day. And as I prayed this morning, I've excluded God from the moments of my life. And then I go out to bed and before I thank God and I I feel the subtle but yet profound conviction of the Holy Spirit saying, My son, you made it through the day. You got business done. But I had three people I needed you to talk to. I I had someone I wanted you to encourage. But you were head down, full steam ahead, because you had things to do. Am I the only one? And I thank God for that still small voice. I thank God for his helper, the Holy Spirit, who is the empowerment to us to live this life. Without condemnation, because Romans 8, 1 tells us, for now there is no condemnation for those that are in Christ Jesus, meaning that his conviction is to be taken so that we learn and we become better. Not that we are, oh God, I'm worthless, I'm no good, just take me out now. No, no. Life is a journey. And we have such a good father, such a gracious, loving daddy, who guides us and leads us not with an iron fist, but with a rod of a shepherd. Uh, 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 no, 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 I'm not going to hit you. <laughs> Just, I'm going to put my rod out here, because I, I need you to go that way. But, uh, come on, no, no, go this way. Go this way. We are, your neighbors are more willing to come to your small groups than many would be willing to invite. This is a statistic that I read, in, in, and I forget which book it was, that uh, many of our friends and neighbors are simply waiting for invitations. Um, and I love, you all are, you, you all have instituted small groups, I believe. Is that correct? Amen. And, and I think that's awesome that allows church as it grows to stay small and to stay intentional about community. Amen. 
Um, and this is a phenomenal opportunity with small groups to continually invite lovingly uh, individuals into our sphere, into our own circles, um, even before they may set foot into this church building. Amen? And I've seen pictures on Facebook of those being baptized in homes, even, I believe, maybe some time ago, um, and receiving Christ in homes. This is, this is good. This is good. This is where we're training again and instilling our church. We've just instituted life groups. Um, and we're seeing great things happen. People come to know Jesus before they come to the church building. We've said, listen, well, Pastor Manu, this, this person wants Jesus. And I'm like, okay, great. Why are you calling me? <laughs> Romans 10, 9, read it. Have fun. See, we've stepped away as a church, not your church, but as a church globally from shoulder to shoulder discipleship. It's been relegated to the senior leaders of a church and a Sunday school class. When that's not the way it was intended. Is there anything wrong with Sunday school class? No, there is not. There is a place for sound teaching and doctrine by those that have the gift of teaching. But there is also a place for just being one step ahead of a person you're discipling. God saved me yesterday. I'm ready to minister to my friend who has yet to be saved. Why? Because we're doing it from the journey of life. Hey man, what are you telling me? You just got saved yesterday. Yes, and it's amazing. Everything has been made new. Don't know what I'm talking about yet, but I'm letting you know right now. I'm going to tell you everything as I figure it out. You see, the, the, the thing about the Western church is that we want to understand before we come to Christ. The Bible does not say that's the way it happens. The Bible says we first come to believe before we understand. We've become so cerebral, we become inundated with information in this information age that we wait to understand God. And oh, how dare we even think that we can understand an incomprehensible, all-knowing, omnipotent, all-power, powerful God. It's going to take eternity for us to know him. Eternity. And when I think of that, it blows my mind. Like the AT&T commercial years ago with the little kids and the little guy. He's asking them questions and he's... If you've never seen that commercial, horrible example right now. (laughs) Main point, he blows my mind. Main takeaway. So point two, point one was, if you're like, I don't even know what point one was. We need others to walk with. We We need others to walk with. That was point one. I don't think I highlighted that at all. At all. Point one, we need others to walk with. Point two is, we need others to work with. Oh, wow, has work become a four-letter word in our society? Right? I work with youth for really the greater part of, of my ministry, and I thank God for them. But this generation of youth, pray. Pray. I spoke to a kid who's 18, graduated high school with honors. Doesn't want a job, doesn't want a license. Mommy and daddy have a car ready for him. Doesn't want to drive. He's content playing video games in the basement. That's what he's content with. 18 years old. Now there's other factors that have led him to this place. But, and I'm not saying generalizing that this is all of, you know, adolescent males within our society. But the statistics that I read are not far from that fact. And we even do understand that even if those that go to college, there's a waiting list for jobs because now a bachelor's degree is similar to a high school degree. 
So we can understand and we can run down the list of the old me's and the old my's. But this is where when we're rooted in God, I've come to know I don't want luck. I don't want even the greatest of education, though you need education. But what I want is to be in the perfect place and position with God because I want his favor over anything I can get on my own. His favor will put you before people, will give you things that we do not deserve, nor should we even have. But he knows that if he entrusts it with you, that you'll honor him with it. You'll honor him with it. We need others to work with. Did you know that the Bible says that God put you on this earth to do a certain work that only you can do? I think that's amazing. There's something that only you can do. And I want to encourage you here. You may be new uh, 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 to this church or, or even a newly saved Christian or, or have never received Jesus in your heart. So I've told youth this many of times, but what I'm learning, I'm having to tell adults this as well. Yes, God has work for you to do, but not before you fall in love with him. So many people are chasing, God, what's your call on my life? Have you ever heard that? What's your call? Meaning, what do you want me to do? And you know what he's saying? Mark chapter 12, verse, uh, I think 10, I'll get back to there. Son, I need you to love me with all your heart, with all your soul. And with all your might. Man, I got two podiums. Check this out. I don't know what to do here. I'm about to get behind the keyboard. You don't want that. I can't play. This is our first call. We have too many people asking God, what do you want me to do? And he said, I need you to love me. I need you to let me love you. Don't worry about it. Because he says that the steps of the righteous are ordered by him. That he's a lamp unto your feet and a light unto your path. One step at a time. One day at a time. But we want to know what's the great plan? What's the great work? It may be great. And it is great. Because everyone's work, it is great. We cannot compare ourselves by ourselves. Because we will left be left high and dry. We must take on the work that God has called us to do. Because no one else can do it like we can. But the first thing we must have in order is his call. No, no, not his call. It's something better than a call. It's a personal invitation to get to know and to be known by the creator of heaven and earth and the lover of your soul. It's an invitation. If you don't believe that, you can write in your notes. We're not going to go there. James chapter 4, verse 8. One of my all-time favorite scriptures. He lays out the invitation in James 4.8. Draw near to me. And then he gives you a promise. I will draw near to you. Not he might if he feels like it and he has nothing better to do. No. See, he's a God. The God we serve is a God that cannot lie. He cannot lie. So when he says, draw near to me, I will, you might say, well, why is he not drawing near to us? He already has. If I could, I would have gone over there and grabbed that cross right now. He hasn't come halfway. He's gone all the way. All the way for you and me. And what he's asking is, acknowledge my son, God the Father is saying. Acknowledge the life that he laid down. And then we acknowledging his life that he laid down so that we could have this abundant life. You see, Jesus lived the life that we could not live and he died the death that we should have died. 
And from this place, our love is rooted and stems. If it is rooted and stems from the place of what he gives us in the natural, then our faith is temporal on shaky ground. Our faith must be rooted in the finished work of Jesus on the cross. And from this place, everything else flows. He is the great initiator. Let it be far from us to think that any good deed that we can do comes from us. I am not capable of good. Pastor Manny Pena is only capable of sin. I was born into sin, the psalmist says. But because of this fact, God had a plan. And it was Jesus. And now I'm called the righteousness of God. Why? Because Christ, his son, lives in me. You see, my righteousness, the Bible says in Romans, is as filthy rags. Means it's worth nothing. But, thank God, we have Jesus. See, it's all about him. This life we live is all about him. The promotions in our jobs, it has to be all about him. The stewardship of our children, because they're not yours and they're not mine. They're on loan. Amen? I, I do family ministries. A lot of families in our church, they get sick of me sometimes. Because I want to, they're not mine. My kids are not mine. I'm going to have to give an account to God on how I stewarded the little lives that he entrusted to me for I don't know how many years. I can't, I can't waste time. I, I, my sister, she gave birth to a stillborn with half a brain, fingers fused together, no feet. Trisomy 13, one of the rarest diseases that a fetus can have. My sister gave birth to a child that was deformed and dead and she loved this child as though she had him for 20, 30 years. By the grace of God, they're just coming out of this phase of mourning and healing and it's been two and a half years. But they've been faithful in the church. Many of tears shed. Many of questions asked. But guess what? Our God is big enough to take our questions. He's big enough to catch every tear. He's caring and loving enough to walk with us when we even feel that he's not there. And they've carried this testimony of a life to so many. You see, I don't know how long I'm going to have my kids, but what I do know is for each day that I have, I must cherish and I must teach them and love them as Christ would. We've got to speed up because I have 10 minutes. One minute? Where's the clock? Oh, it is. We're ending right now. My clock is messed up. I apologize. It's a pastor's clock. I think it's rigged, Joe. <laughs> I guess that's like an out. <laughs> Point two was, we need to work with others. And then point three, I love this point, and we're going to close right now. I know you're afraid because you're seeing how many pages I'm flipping. <laughs> we're going to put these over there. We need others who will watch out for us. See, that's not too popular. Men, I would say with men more so than with women. Right? We feel that we're the ones to watch out for others, but no one needs to watch out for me. I'm a man. Right? I build things with my hands. I, I don't. I wish I could. <laughs> I'm not that guy. You know, I'm envious of those that can. But Ecclesiastes 4.12 says this, if 
Is there anybody watching your back? Anybody watching your spiritual welfare? Are you in a group that is committed for this to each other? Ecclesiastes chapter 4 tells us very clearly that a two-court strand is not easily broken, but a three-court strand is almost impossible to sever. That we're to walk with one another. Do you know that in Scripture there's about 50 Scriptures that cannot be, or 50 commands that cannot be uh, fulfilled without walking in community? When you go through the New Testament, it says things like, carry one another's burdens. Uh, uh, um, and, and it goes on with those with those uh, words that speak of work, walking together in relationship. In 9-11, we learned that there was an, em- intimate, uh, an enemy who is sophisticated, patient, and disciplined, uh, and had limitless, limitless hatred of our values here in America. This enemy does not care about collateral damage. So too is the enemy of our soul. Satan is sophisticated. He's patient, he's disciplined, and he has limited hatred. I mean, limitless hatred towards you. Why? Because you are the apple of God's eye. And he does not fight care. He could care less about collateral damage. So when Satan attacks, he does not come in a little red outfit with a pitchfork and say, boo. He comes not just to mess up our lives. But he attacks by the way of our habits that we can't break, the hangups that we can't change, the hurts that we won't let go of, the problems that we can't get over, the circumstances that are too big for us to see God through, the relationships that break our heart and that hurt us. Most Christians become defeated as they live life through the defeats of their past. You see, we can't fight, we can't live this life on our own. Yes, the answer is God and Jesus and his Holy Spirit, but he's given us each other to encourage one another, to reproof and discipline each other in love, in love, and to walk with each other as a soldier would back to back, taking watch in a midnight hour. So what would the challenge be today? The challenge today would be James chapter 3, verse 18. James chapter 3, verse 18 reads, Real wisdom, God wisdom, begins with a holy life and is characterized by getting along with others. It is a gentle and reasonable, overflowing with mercy and blessing, not hot one day and cold the next, not two-faced. You can develop a healthy, robust community that lives right with God And enjoy its results only if you do the hard work of getting along with each other. The Message Bible reads, treating each other with dignity and honor. My challenge to you as a church in Baltimore is to be a church that will do this hard thing of loving God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might. And as you allow God to overwhelm you with his gracious love and mercy, that you would then dare you would have the audacity to love your city in like manner. And I believe as you do this, because I believe you're doing this already, but as you grow in this, God is going to add people to this body that it will not be a church that is wide just because there's sitters in the pews, but it will be a church that is powerful. Why? 
because they're rooted in the love of Christ Jesus. Amen? Amen. Can we stand? And we're going to pray. I'm going to blame the clock. That's my story and I'm sticking to it. I, I want to pray just for you all that God would continually bless you, encourage you, and just give you wisdom to navigate throughout this city in relationships and even in conversations that you would have. That God would permeate your conversations and that they would be extraordinary and even filled with supernatural language and words. Father, we come before you today and we want to say, we want to say thank you. Thank you for the people that you've placed in this church, in this community, and in this city for this hour. Father, we thank you that these, your people, Father, are those that are seeking the welfare of their city, of their community. And that, Father, they're planting roots that are deep, Father God. Father, we thank you that, Lord, as they do this, that you would draw men, Father God, and women and youth and children to them, Father. Why? Because it says in your word that they would know your church, that the world will know us by how we love each other, Father. And I pray, Father, that this would be a church that abounds in love, abounds in mercy, abounds in grace, Father God, that it would be a hospital for the broken, Father, that the weary would find strength here, Father, that those that are running away from a past would find refuge here, Father God. You would give wisdom to their leaders, Father God. You would give courage to the congregants, Father God. Father, we thank you. We thank you. We pray for a new anointing to be released upon this place. Father, for a church is not the building, but it is the people that fill it, Father God. Father, new boldness, Father God. And Lord, courage, Lord God. They will look fear in the eye and say, if my God goes before me, who can be against me? And that they would know that nothing or no one would stand against them, Father, for you have gone ahead of them and fought the battle. Father, I thank you for their pastors. Pray for strength upon them as they're on vacation and you infilling, Father God, of even greater vision for this new season that you're bringing them into. And Father, even as this lovely couple that sits right here, as you're sending him out, Father God, to San Diego, Father, I pray that that would be a picture of what would happen multiplied times over within this house, Father God. We are Ecclesia, the church, the sent out ones. Father, you call some here for a season. You prepare them. Then you send them out, Father God, as a seed sown into a new field so that, Lord, new ones can come and grow in their place, Father God. Father, we pray, Father God, even for this couple that, Lord, you have prepared a way and a path for them, Father God. And, Father, that, Lord, as they've served faithfully and risen, Father God, and even uh, influence within this house, that you would bring those, Father God, that would, Lord God, do the same. Not one couple, Father, but, Lord, ten, Father God. Father, we thank you, Lord, that this would be a house that your children grow in maturity and that they would love you and from this place of love that they would hear your voice clearly. We ask you this. I'm going to ask real quick. If there's every eye closed and every head bowed, if there's anyone here who doesn't know Jesus, we, we bow our heads and close our eyes, not, not for embarrassment, but just for opportunity to be in privacy with the Lord. And if there's anyone here that does not know Jesus, I want to let you know that you can receive him right now. 
you can receive him right now and that your life would, as you know it, would be different. See, God doesn't give us a, a different version of our life. He gives us a new life. If that's you, you can raise your hand. If you would say, I've, I've never received Jesus, but, but I, I believe that, that he is who he says he is and I need him in my life today. Is there anyone here today? Anyone here today? Amen. Well, Father, we thank you for all of these here are your children. We pray that you keep them. You would cover them. Father, for the children that are in children's church, that, Lord, we prophesy that they would love you all the days of their life, that they would never turn away from you. They will find fulfillment in you, Father God, and that, Lord, that they would see and hear your voice, Lord God, even the more clearer at this young age, Father God. We prophesy that to this, to this household, to these children, in Jesus' name. And if we believe it, can we all just give a clap to the Lord this evening? That he's good, he's faithful to the end. Amen.